Today we're looking at Romans chapter 8, and we are going to uh, start here in verse 19. But we've been looking at, at Romans 8 now for some time, and over the last couple of weeks we've been looking at um, the idea of suffering is a path to glory. In other words, you don't get the glory without the suffering. That's just the way it works. And um, Jesus suffered. And yes, his suffering on the cross, he said it is finished. But he also promised us in this life, we will have trials, we will have tribulations, that we will suffer. And the word of God says that we are to be blessed as a result of our suffering for Christ. And so we need to be reminded of that, that one day we will be glorified. One day we will be in a state of sinlessness in the presence of our Lord and Savior. But until that day, there's some suffering that's going to take place. Uh, I read a little article this last week, and it was talking about questions that children asked. And this one child was asking questions like, you know, why, why do bees sting us and hurt us? Why... Do weeds grow in the grass and in the flowers when we try so hard not for that to happen? Why do people get sick? This one little child asked, why did my friend in school get cancer and have to go through treatments and lose all their hair? How embarrassing that would be. Why did that have to happen? Why did... My grandmother gets sick and have to die. One child asked, why are there major catastrophes in the world, floods and hurricanes and tornadoes that maim and kill people? One asked, why do people want to use guns and bombs to hurt innocent people, as we've seen this last week? And we know the answer to all those questions. It's sin. It's the fallen nature of the world in which we live. And one day, God will ultimately cleanse the world of all that dishonors him and all that fails to glorify him. But we see here in Romans 8 where Paul is going with this. He starts off with there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And then he talks about why that's so in the previous chapters because we've been justified before God by Christ's work on the cross. We've been brought into a proper understanding and a proper relationship with our creator God. Not because of who we are, but because of who he is and what he did on our behalf. And then he talks about all those benefits there in verses chapters 6 to 8 that we've looked at. Justification and sanctification. How we're continually being made holy in our walk with Christ day by day. And by the way, none of us are there yet. Okay, we're not, we're not completed yet. We're a work in, project, in, in process.
And because we've been justified in Christ Jesus by his work on the cross, Paul says that we're to consider ourselves dead to sin. And we've been brought into union with his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it says in Romans 6 that we've become, rather than servants of sin, we've become servants of righteousness. We've become slaves to righteousness. And we're a new creation in Christ. He transformed us. See, being a Christian is not just adding Jesus to your life. It's realizing that your life needs to go away. That your, your, your life isn't is so bad that God has to basically wipe it out and start over. He changes you. The Bible said, says that old all things become new. Old things pass away. And so we're freed from the penalty of God's law because of Christ. Now we delight in the law of God. We, we seek to please God by, by keeping his commandments and doing what he tells us to do because we want to live a life that's honoring to Christ and, and honoring to him. And so we come to verse 1 there in Romans 8. It says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ. That means that this, whoever he's talking about here, has a permanent place of justification before God. They're permanently justified. There's no... Going back and forth on this. I want to just point you to a couple scriptures. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And remember, the Spirit is the one that's kind of doing all this work in our hearts and in our lives. And so, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, in all these verses that we're going to read right now, speak to the Spirit's work in our life as far as, as really keeping us saved. And it says there, Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14, he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with what? The promise Holy Spirit. The promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance. What's that mean? It means he's a down payment. He's an engagement ring. He's, 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 he's something that God gives us to secure us in our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, the Holy Spirit of God makes it impossible for you, if you are truly saved, to ever lose that salvation. That's not ever, ever a possibility. It's never going to happen. When you were saved, the Bible says that you were purchased by God. And even though you don't have your full inheritance yet, the Bible says, the Spirit is the guarantee that you will have it. Look it over at Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. We know this verse well. Philippians 1, verse 6. 
Paul writes, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? When God begins a work, he finishes it. That's it. There's no if, ands, or buts there. You can't stop and say, well, what, what if, you know, you come up with some scenario where it wouldn't be finished? No. If God begins a work in you, it says that he will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is that a- agent that he works through. He, he deposits that spirit in our lives when we come to Christ. And he gives us the power to live a life that is honoring to Christ. And when we're listening to the Spirit and we're yielding to the Spirit and we're being filled and controlled by the Spirit, you know what? We're living a life that's honoring to Christ. But when we're not listening to the Spirit and we're not yielding to the Spirit and we're not filled with the Spirit, we're living a life that's filled with sin and self and the flesh. But the mere fact that the Spirit is within us should assure us that that work has begun and he will complete it. Colossians chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Paul says this, You are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. It doesn't say, well, you might, or possibly, or maybe if you do this or you do that. It doesn't say that. It says your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, we're going to appear with him in glory. And then the last verse I want to share with you is out of uh, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. And all these speak to the nature of our salvation that we're secure in Christ. And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm sharing this with you in, in a few moments. But 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23 and 24. He just gets done rattling off these staccato things that he wants them to do. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, all this stuff. Don't quench the spirit. Abstain from every form of evil. Then in verse 23, Paul says, Now may the God of peace himself, not somebody else, himself, sanctify you partly. Is that what your Bible says? No. It says completely. Sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. The reason I share those passages with you, beloved, is because they speak to the assurance of our salvation. They speak to the nature of our salvation, that it's secure in Christ, that it's not up for grabs. That if you commit your life to Christ, if you come to to salvation through Christ Jesus and you repent of your sins and you, you bow before him and say, Lord, it's not my way anymore, it's your way. And you know what? I acknowledge my sinful selfishness before this and I want to give all that up and I want to do what you want me to do. And you trust 
in his work on the cross, not your work here on earth, but his work on the cross for your salvation, then you know what? The Bible says that he will save you, that he will transform you, that he will make you a new creature in Christ. But you know what? Here on this earth, we're dealing with suffering every day. Every single day, to some form or fashion, we go through some kind of suffering. Now, it may not be like a lot of the Christians in the Middle East are having their heads lopped off. I mean, that's true suffering. Or having their family slaughtered. I mean, we live in a country where we have the freedom to gather here and worship the Lord, our God, without fear of some government agency coming in and closing us down. I don't know how long that will last. I think there's going to come a day when certain beliefs that are biblical, certain issues that we know as sinful issues, when we call them sin, I think eventually they'll be classified as that's going to be a hate crime. We don't want you doing any hate crimes, so you can't tell us that homosexuality is a sin. We're not going to allow you to say that. If you say that, then we're going to come in and we're going to yank your nonprofit status. So now you've got to pay taxes on all the property you own, churches. I mean, churches are already capitulating to this. They're already bowing down. We just need to get ready. But every day we go through some form of sacrifice or suffering in our walk with Christ. If our walk with Christ is legit. If our walk with Christ is not legit, I've, I've said this to people before. And they said, well, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, I'm a Christian and nobody, I don't go through any suffering. I mean, life's good. You know, everybody doesn't say anything to me about my faith. My answer is, there's something wrong with your faith. There's something terribly wrong. You can't live in a world in which this world has become and stand up for Christ and not feel some blowback from that. That's not going to be welcomed. They're not going to put their arms around you and say, hey, let's just sing Kumbaya, you know, we get it. You're a little more conservative than we are. No. I mean, these people are, are, are getting to the point of being hateful. And so every day we're dealing with issues and we're thinking, man, when is this, is this am I going to make it through this? And those verses say, yes, you will. You will make it through because it's God that it's working you. He will complete what he's begun. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to worry. We don't have to go to, to bed at night worrying about ISIS or worrying about our president or worrying about our government or worrying about who the next president's going to be. I think God's got that all worked out. I think he's still on the throne the last time I checked. And yeah, he's allowing Satan to do his dirty work down here, but that's going to last for a while. But you know what? God is still in control, beloved. Don't ever forget that. I always remember what, what 
John MacArthur said it, I don't know if it was a conference or a sermon, I don't know where I heard him say it, but he said this, because they were asking him about the election and they were asking him about the candidates. And he said, you know what? He said, I do my citizen duty and go and vote. But I just want you to know that none of this has anything to do with the kingdom of God whatsoever. Nothing. So don't get all worked up about it. I mean, you know, I get worked up about it. I stand. We were at dinner last night, man. I was <laughs> ranting and raving over the political stuff that's going on. You know, we got on that topic and I just can't talk about this, you know, because, you know, it, it really causes me to get in a place I shouldn't be. And then I remember driving home. Wait, you know what? God's in control. He's going to get us through this. You know, we, we believe, I think, falsely because we live in America that somehow we live in a, in a country that's isolated from God's judgment. That somehow, well, God bless America, you know? I mean, you come here. I mean, there's no way God would ever cause any problems here. Hello? Read the paper. Open, read the news. Look at what's going on around us. God has removed his hand of blessing from our country, beloved. If you can't figure that out, uh, you know, I don't know what to tell you. This country is not being blessed. It's just that it's been blessed for so many years that now the hand of judgment is upon it. Some of the blessings are still being kind of having their their benefits. But you can't kill unborn babies to the tune of what our country does and glorify sin the way our country does And say, oh, yes, our country's blessed by God. No, it's not. And I I tell that to you because, you know what? God is still at work, though. He's still at work in you. He's still at work in me. He's still completing that work of salvation that he began. And he's going to see it to the end. Remember last week we talked about suffering being the path to glory. And I said that there's no such thing as salvation without glorification. There's no way that you can be saved and one day not be glorified. There's no way that somehow you're going to shortchange that process if you're truly saved. You can't lose it. Some people say, well... You know, you call it the perseverance of the saints. We persevere to the end by God's grace. Some people call it, well, you know, once saved, always saved. I'm not real fond of that term because it sounds cheap to me. It sounds like, you know what, over here you can make some profession of Christ and then go do whatever you want. And over here, you're living in sin, and somebody says, oh, you know, aren't you afraid of God's sin? Oh, no, 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 I, 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 you know, accepted Christ at a VBS camp or at a youth camp or whatever when I was 10. I'm good. <laughs> really? See, that, that kind of mentality, unfortunately, they never had salvation to begin with. You know, they're, they're the folks in, in, in Romans or in Matthew 7, right? Hey, Lord, Lord, uh, (laughs) remember us? Uh, No, I don't think I do. But our salvation is a work of God, and he began it in eternity past. He brings it to the, the present, and he will continue it to the future. 
And you have to remind ourselves, we have to remind ourselves that God is in control. His plan is being carried out. Nothing trumps his plan. Not even Mr. Trump. Okay? And, and see, we need to remember, you know, because I don't know about you, but I mean, if you have grandkids, if you have kids, you know, you, you get a little worried. I mean, you see what's going on in this world. The wheels are falling off the cart. And it's not going to get any better. And I'm thinking, well, okay, my grandson's 13 now. What's it going to be like in five years? What's it going to be like in 10 years? What's it going to be like when he has kids? What's this world going to be like? And God promises to glorify us if we are saved. And you know what? If someone appears to be saved but abandons the faith, you know, you always hear people say, well, what about, you know, my Uncle Joe, you know, he, he did all this stuff, and then now he's not even living for the Lord at all. Denies Christ. Well, he was never saved, right? I mean, you know, 1 John 2.19 talks about that. And so we, we need to remind ourselves that if God has begun that work in our hearts and in our lives, he will complete it. And ultimately, we will be glorified. Because he will do it. It's not up to us. Thank God. And so, when we come back to Romans 8, and I want to talk to you about the three groans, and this is just the first one, the groan of creation today. As we read through this text, you're going to see these three groans. We're just going to cover the first one today, but look. Look with me at, we'll be, pick it up in verse 18 of Romans 8. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation... But we ourselves who have have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with, look, groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What's interesting, that last verse that I read there in verse 30, noticed it's all 
past tense. Something that God's already done. Because God transcends time. We don't understand that. But that's what the word says. Well, let's look at our text for this morning. Verses 19 to 22. So we see the groan of creation here. Why is everybody groaning? Look around you. Not to your neighbor, not to the guy sitting next to you, but, but to the world, okay? I mean, like I said, the wheels are coming off the cart. Uh, it, it's very important to, to realize that not only is creation groaning, but as believers, we're groaning. I'm groaning every day. You, know, you get out of bed, oh, you know, I just, man, Lord, I can't wait. Get rid of this body, get a new one. Amen? Man, I hope I'm not the only one. And so when you stop and you think about it, this, this groaning really has the, the idea of, of, of just a, a, um, uh, an anticipa- something that wants to be anticipated. And it says here that creation waits with eager longing. And he kind of takes creation and he makes a person out of it. Since the only place that, that the Bible does that, Isaiah 35, 1 says, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad. Really? The wilderness can be glad? What's he doing? He's, he's personifying creation. Isaiah 55, 12 says, The mountains and the hills, we sing this song once in a while, shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What's he doing? He's personifying creation. Well, that's what Paul's doing here. And he's saying, you know what? This creation that we see all around us is longing for glory. It's longing to be transformed. It's longing to be changed. And you say, well, changed to what? Back to its original. Back to what God originally designed it to be. And we're going to look at this a little bit. But you might, you want, might want to ask at this point, well, what part of creation are you talking about, Steve? John Murray does a good job in his commentary on this text. And he talks about verses 20 to 23, and he says this, Angels are not included in creation because they were not subjected to vanity in the creation that we're talking about here in the text and to bondage of corruption. Satan and the demons are not included because they cannot be regarded as longing for the manifestation of the sons of God. And they will not share in the liberty of the glory of the children of God. The children of God themselves, believers, are not included because they are distinguished from the creation. He talks about them as we read a little later down. He said, we ourselves will groan. Well, who is he talking about here? He goes on, he says, even the unbelieving of mankind cannot be included in this definition of creation because the earnest expectation does not characterize them. They're They're not looking for that. He says, in other words, all of rational creation is excluded by the terms of 20 to 23, of the verses there in 20 to 23. The only thing that's left, he says, is non-rational creation, animate and inanimate. 
What's he talking about? What's Paul talking about here? He's talking about the physical world. Plants, matter, animals, hills, stars, seas, rivers, lakes. His argument is that nature is in an imperfect state. But it's longing to be liberated from that imperfection. It says there that creation is eagerly longing. Eagerly longing. It has the idea in the original language of someone standing up on their tippy toes, kind of waiting for somebody to come home. You ever seen that, parents, when your kids know you're coming home and they're in the front window and they're looking over the, you know, the thing? Why well, can't wait till daddy gets home? Or maybe you're, you're, you're peering at something off in the distance. You're, 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 you're just waiting for it. That's what the idea is here, is sticking your neck way out to see something in the distance. And it says here that nature is on its tippy toes, looking into the, the distance, waiting to be transformed, waiting for that glory to return. And it refers to anticipation. It refers to readiness. Well, what is nature looking for, it says? It says right there in the text, for creation waits with eager longing for what? For the revealing of the sons of God. The revealing. That word reveal means to manifest or to unveil something. So all creation is waiting for the unveiling of the sons of God when believers enter their perfect state, when believers enter that glorification that's promised to us. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2 says, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it does not appear what we shall be, but we shall know that when Christ shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. You know, when you live here on this earth, hopefully people see something different in you. Hopefully they sense something different about you. But you know what? People can't look at you and say, oh, you're a Christian. Yeah, I see that big S there inside you, the spirit. They can't can't do that you just look like everybody else why because we're veiled in our humanness we're we're clothed in our humanness when christ came to earth what happened jesus christ took on a human body for 30 some years he lived in a human body even though he was fully god and yet at times people doubted that he was god why because they just saw the body now, when he did some of these spectacular events, miracles and things, they, whoa, they were impressed. But even then, the, the people that didn't want to believe, they said, oh, you know, he probably does that by the power of Satan, <laughs> right? They, they still didn't want to believe. Jesus didn't walk around with a little halo around his head. And people said, oh, here comes the Messiah. See the glow, you know. That, that's not how it worked. He was veiled in a human body. Well, 
That's what we are today. We are our, our future glorification, but we're veiled in this body. Colossians 3, 4 says, When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, we shall also appear with him in glory. Creation anticipates this time when saints will be glorified and shine as stars forever. Why? Why are they anticipating that? Because they know the same thing's going to happen to them. Creation does. Because creation was subjected to the curse. Look at verse 20. It says there, For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That word futility means aimlessness or vanity. It speaks of the inability to fulfill a purpose that you were created for. What's he saying? He's saying nature can't do what it was created to do. Just can't do it. It can't fulfill its reason for existing. What's the reason that creation exists, everybody? For God's glory, right? Well, right now, it's having a hard time doing that. Now, I get it. You can go up to Yosemite and look at half dome and go, wow. And who do you glorify? You glorify God. Can you imagine what this place looked like before the curse? Oh, it'd blow our minds. I mean, we couldn't even contain it. We're seeing it post-curse. And so nature's frustrated. It's, it's, it's trying to be all that God wants it to be, but it's being held back. Genesis one thirty one says, God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. What does that mean? Dads, practically, that means that there's no weeds. <laughs> there's no bugs that are going to bug you, irritate you. There's no sin. There's no curse. See, the Garden of Eden was a place where the glory of God flourished. Adam didn't have to work to maintain the garden. He, he did. He, we, he did some things. He picked fruit. He did some other things. But it wasn't to maintain the garden because of weeds or whatever, because there was none. It was perfect in every way. But when man sinned, the Bible says that nature was subjected to futility, it says. In other words, it can no longer reflect God's perfection. It's skewed. It's like a dirty mirror. Dirty windshield in your car. What is it with car windshields? You know, you clean them. I'm not talking about the outside. I mean, you know, you can do that. But on the inside, you know, I don't know if it's your, just our car or what, but, you know, you clean the inside windshield, you know, and you go a couple days, especially when it's hot, and all of a sudden you see all the stuff. It's just like a fog, like somebody just, I don't know if it's emoting some kind of fumes from the dashboard or what, but, I mean, you can literally play tic-tac-toe on your windshield. That drives me nuts. I long for the day that, well, we won't have cars and up there, but yeah, wouldn't it be great <laughs> not to worry about this stuff? But it says here 
that it, creation was subjected to futility. That verb's in the aorist tense. And what that means is that something happened in creation at a moment in time in the past. It has ongoing consequences. The earth became subject to futility. Nature became the victim of decay and corruption. That's why there's smog. That's why there's pollution. That's why the earth is deteriorating. It's not us, as all the tree huggers would want you to believe. You know, go plant a tree and all this stuff. Look, this earth is declining. You could take all the cars off the planet, close down all the factories. Stop anything that would cause human pollution. You know what's going to happen to this earth? It's going to decline. (laughs) Because that's what's happening. Now granted, I mean pollution probably adds to the process. But you know what? It's just fulfilling the purpose of God in the long run is the way I look at it. So hey, have at it. We were at dinner last night, and I was asking my friend, I said, what do you think about the drought? You know, his background in dealing with water and did this down the Coachella Valley for years. He said, drought? What's this? (laughs) It's water. Well, yeah, don't you? He goes, yeah, the reservoirs are a little low. Happens every seven years. True. See, we live in a world where we have people that are looking for certain things to jump on the bandwagon on, and it boils down to getting their hand in our pocket so they can take our money. I mean, it could, you know, we're probably going to have a pretty crazy winter. You know, I mean, I think we'll probably have some flooding. But you know what? We're still going to be in a drought. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. They're not going to wake up after the major rains of this winter when everything's full and go, oh, you know what? (laughs) Sorry, false call. You know, go ahead, water your lawns again. No, they're going to keep those things in place. I guarantee it. But it says that it was subjected to it. And occasionally we get a glimpse of creation in all its splendor. If you go to Tahoe, you go to Yosemite or Yellowstone and you look at the ocean, you just go, wow, this is just incredible. Just think about what it was before it was cursed. But really, creation here is a victim. It it says here that creation was subjected. It's, It's passive. It means creation didn't make itself subject to futility. Something else did it. Creation was victimized, you might say. It was unwillingly subjected to futility. Excuse me. Look at it in in Genesis. Tells us very clearly when God, when Adam said to uh, uh, Adam and Eve, it said, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you, and in pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall. Eat the plants of the field. 
By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you will return. What is that? That's God's curse upon creation. It brought about decay, disaster, pollution, degeneration, everything. And it wasn't just limited to this earth. Scientists tell us when they glean, look out through telescopes and, you know, far, far away galaxies or whatever, they don't see things getting better. They're winding down. Everything that we experience around us is under this subjection to futility. And I think what God wants us to understand out of this is, you know what? This is the tremendous, incredible vast, tremendous reaching effect of sin. One sin did this. See, we, we want to believe today that when we find ourselves in a sin, well, it's not hurting anybody. It's, you know, it's not really, no. Sin always hurts. It doesn't just pollute one. Its ramifications are endless. They just continue. So we see that one man's sin polluted an entire universe. Because man's sin, creation fell. And what Paul is saying is that when man is restored to his glorious state, that God has planned for his children... Well, guess what? Creation will be restored as well. We read last week, I'm not going to take time, we don't have time this morning, but we read the chapter of Revelation 21. And we looked at a place that was uncursed, an eternal glorious domain where where God is, is there in all his glory and we will be too. And that's the hope that's spoken of at the end of this verse. Nature's looking for that glorious manifestation of the children of God because that's when it will be freed from the bondage of corruption. Somebody asked me one time, well, how do you know the, the, uh, the theory of the science of evolution is not true? And I said, because the opposite's true. What do you mean? It's not hard to figure out. I asked them what year their car was. 2000, whatever. I'm sure it's in better shape than when you first bought it, right? I mean, it's probably shinier and it runs better. And Well, no, it's 10 years old. Why would that? Yeah, exactly. Still didn't get it, but <laughs> no hope, you know, it's just, eh, whatever. I mean, it's kind of common sense. You know, the universe is not evolving. It's devolving. Everything's falling apart. It's not on an upward trend, it's on a downward trend. It's moving from absolute perfection to total disaster. And us driving a car or running oil in our factories or whatever, or burning coal, is not going to hinder this process. But one day... Creation will be restored. It says in verse 21, 
that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. That word there, set free, once again... It's a passive word. In other words, creation will be renewed by God. It's not going to renew itself. You hear these people talking about renewable energy. Wind and and all these things. And you, you talk to somebody who would drive an electric car. And I mean, if the government didn't subsidize, subsidize these things, they would never make it. Why? Because they're not perfected. They don't, they don't really do what they say they can do. I mean, they've, they've done, gone far away with it. But the idea that you're going to use energy and, and somehow it's not going to affect anything. Where do they make the batteries for these cars? What kind of toxic things do they? I mean, who knows? I mean, you know. And I'm not saying, please understand, I'm not saying we go out and we abuse this creation that God has given us to enjoy. I'm not saying that. I mean, we do our part. You know, guys, go home, cut your grass and, you know, pull the weeds and, you know, do what you have to do. But don't think somehow that's going to bring back the glorious nature of creation before the curse. Well, it says here in verse 21, the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Second um, Peter chapter 3 describes what will happen. It describes it kind of vividly. Um, you can look at that if you want. Second Peter chapter 3 in your Bibles, all the way in the back. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 10. says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night and the heavens will pass away with, with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to live to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's what I tell the folks when they come around. Hey, will you sign my little petition to save the trees? It's like, no, I won't. What do you mean? You you don't want to save the trees? Not really. I got got better things to do with my time. Well, why wouldn't you want to save the tree? God's going to burn it all up anyway. (laughs) Okay. Usually they just kind of run to the next house. Everything is going to be burned up, beloved. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17. Well, in in 2 Peter there, verse 11, when it says all these things will be dissolved, that word in the original means set loose. In other words, basically, it's just going to let go. I mean, when you stop and you think about molecules and atoms and all that stuff and these things flying around in there, who's holding all that stuff together? 
Well, Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 to 17 tells us Jesus is. It says in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things. And then look at what it says in verse 17. And in Him all things hold together. So one day, Jesus is going to get the nod from his dad. Let her go, son. Okay. (laughs) And he's going to let it go. And everything is just going to come apart. We're not going to need a nuclear weapon for this. God's going to take care of it. I'm sure that he will figure it out. And so the creation will be restored, but also we will be restored. When nature is freed and it will be delivered into the glorious liberty, look at what it says there, of the children of God. The freedom of the glory of the children of God. I mean, one day, beloved, we won't have to deal with this body that we know. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 50, he says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's why when we talked about this body is keeping us from glory, we can't enter glory with this body. We have to leave this body behind. That's why to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. So he says, Paul says, this flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. You shall not all sleep, but you shall be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. For when the Perishable puts on imperishable, and the mortality and the, and the mortal puts on immortality. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written: Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, he says, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor, look at this, is not in vain. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Everything else you do is in vain. You ever think of it that way? That clock you're punching 10, 12 hours a day? It's in vain. Not going to last. Only what you do for the work of the Lord will last. And ultimately, we'll all have new bodies. We'll be glorified as Christ is glorified. I mean, Jesus was kind of neat when you read about his glorified body in the gospel accounts. And that's that his glorified body, he was able to walk through walls. He was able to eat. That's a good thing, right? 
See, we have this great hope for a future. We know what's going to happen to us. We know where we are going. The Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 says our citizenship is where? In heaven. And so we should have this same kind of anticipation. You know, and our dear brother, you know, Jerry, the other night was having a stroke. I mean, it was kind of weird. I mean, it's the first time I ever asked Jerry a question. He didn't answer. He couldn't answer. And I kept on thinking, you know what? If this dear brother drops dead right here on this floor. He's, he's with the Lord. He's with the Lord. Just like that. All his concerns. All his fears. All the burdens are gone. Verse 22 says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Until now means right up to the present. Groaning here, it's, it's, all, it's all happening together. They're groaning in harmony, if that's possible. I think what I want you to see out of this is the next time you try to justify your own sin. Think if you had committed the first sin. What the implications would have been. You would have polluted this whole universe. One commentator writes this, as the leprosy not only defiled the man who was infected with it, but also the house he inhabited. In the same way, sin, which is the spiritual leprosy of man, has not only defiled our bodies and our souls, but by the just judgment of God has infected all creation. The good thing is they're in the pains of childbirth. You mothers who have gone through this and experienced know what it's like. But I don't think any of you who have a child and have gone through the pain of childbirth would say, ah, you know what, this wasn't worth it. No, you, 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 you coddle that baby and you, wow, you're filled with joy. You're just overwhelmed with God's blessing because of this new life that God has given to your family. Even though it was painful going through the process. And the idea here is that, you know what? The pain is worth it. It's not futile. It's not hopeless. Because something good happens in the end. That ultimately, God's glory will take place. And we'll talk about our own groaning for our glorification next week. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word clearly tells us that uh, you're not done with us. That, Lord, even though this world seems to be falling apart all around us, that people are trying to harm innocent people every day, that we're being questioned and persecuted and certain parts of the world suffering in extreme ways for their Christian faith. Lord, that you, you still have your hand on the wheel. You're still in control. You see exactly what we're going through and how we're going through it. And the word of God says that even though we're going to go through this suffering for a little while here, it's, it's well worth it in the end.
It can't even compare to what we have to look forward to when we're in your presence. Father, I pray for each soul that's represented here today. Lord, only you know the condition of their heart. Only you know whether or not they have put their faith, their trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's never too late. It's never too late. I would encourage you even now to consider coming to God who is holy in every way and admitting that you're not, admitting your sin, confessing your sin. Confession just means to say the same thing. 